You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, Jerry, it's good to be talking with you once again. I am in uh, our lovely hotel here in Cleveland. You are back at Safeco Field. Uh, Welcome once again to the Wheelhouse. We've got a ton of stuff to discuss here today. Uh, But first on the agenda, Jerry... You timed it perfectly to stay home when the team was on the road because you have been basking in 75 and 80 degree weather while we continue to be chilled at 45 with the wind chill. So I think a, a wise decision on your part, Jerry. Well done. Call it call it a veteran move. I, I think the uh, the weather here has been phenomenal. And yesterday I was reminded how awesome it is to live in Seattle this time of year. I was curious. Have you been able to uh, fire up the grill at all over the last few days with the warm weather and the sunshine? Indeed, I have. I, I've I fired up the grill on a couple of occasions, not the the least of which the reasons being my electricity went out and I had to I had to rough it and go with the the grill in the in the yard. <laughs> and uh, you know, it, we've we've had some interesting meals. I, I will say this: that the highlight of my my culinary week was uh, was effectively on a challenge from my family. Are you familiar with the flightless bird, the emu, E M U? I I am embarrassed to say that I am not at all familiar with the emu. Please Google the emu uh, or Bing the emu, whichever you know you, you're inclined to do. But the <laughs> the emu, I was I was watching an episode of Iron Chef Gauntlet where the secret ingredient was an egg, you know, just eggs, and it was duck eggs, goose eggs, chicken eggs, and, and they provided uh, uh, my first glimpse of the emu egg, which was a giant egg. It looked it was it was about as big as your hand. Uh, I immediately Googled an emu, which I've occasionally jotted down on a on a crossword puzzle, but otherwise had never really known what it was. And and uh, I, long story short, I took uh, I took the opportunity to uh, to to look up emu eggs and where we might find them. And my wife found them at the at the Pikes Public Market, and, and we went down. We bought a pair of emu eggs and. And uh, last Saturday, I, I turned them into a frittata delight, an emu egg frittata with uh, with chorizo and and Mexican flavors. It was it was I, I think it was really good. But I, I've now got an emu egg in my bag of tricks. The emu is the second largest living bird by height after its relative, the ostrich. So uh, there you go. We I, that was a quick Google search on my part. It, does it take any taste any different than a normal egg jerry it does and i will send you footage of the uh of the cracking of the emu egg it required a hammer uh to what oh yeah a hammer to open the emu egg the uh it was it was very rich and yolky uh it was it was phenomenal and if you're familiar with the big extra you know the oversized lodge pan uh yes of course the skillet it two emu eggs filled the entire skillet it was it was awesome and uh i I, it was it was actually my first career for Tata as well as my first career emu egg. So uh, it's a big night at the Depoto House. I got to say, this sounds like a frittata for eight. Uh, were you guys able to polish this thing off? Uh, we ate it for three days. So it was, uh, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a healthy portion. Well, I must say, before we get into this road trip, when since we're already on the topic of, uh, of food, Blower Power and I and Gary Hill and Ryan Huter of the Mariners PR staff celebrated 
Lowe's birthday in high style at Gibson Steakhouse the other night in Chicago, Jerry. I'm sure a place that you've been to before. Uh, one of one of the great steakhouses in the American League. And uh, Blow and I split a roughly a, a 38 ounce bone and ribeye, which was as great as it sounds. And uh, they gave Mike free dessert because it was his birthday. And Jerry, they served him strawberry shortcake in a mixing bowl. <laughs> it was uh, the biggest thing of all time. I've got a great picture of Mike with the birthday candle in his strawberry shortcake. Uh, the four of us could not even put a dent into it. We also ordered a second dessert uh, because we're just we weren't clear thinkers like that. And uh, we got a, a turtle pie, which is described to us as a gallon of ice cream uh, covered in hot fudge and caramel sauce and nuts and everything else. So we uh, we didn't quite have a uh, anything emu related, but it was a, a fantastic off night dinner in Chicago. I'm guessing you did not have Mitch Hanniger with you to enjoy the, the, the post dinner sweets. Uh, there was no Mitch. Is, is, is that right up Mitch's alley? Uh, I, I I understand that the post-game suites are not up Mitch's alley, but you know apparently big hits and driving in critical runs are, which is a good thing for us. Uh, save the suites, keep the hits coming. You know, actually, now that you bring that up, I remember Nathan Rauschenberg and the, the guys who do great work over on Mariner Social Media did the, did the video with Mitch and Ryan Healy during the offseason at Marination in West Seattle. And I'm, I'm remembering this now that Ryan is the big suites guy and Mitch is not the big sweets guy, and we'll be talking a little bit about Ryan Healy, some good news on that front as well. But uh, what a series uh, for Mitch, what a series for the Mariners in Chicago and before that in Texas, Jerry. This is a, another three-city road trip for the guys and back-to-back -back series wins. Uh, what have you been most pleased with so far on this road trip for the Mariners? Uh, the, the obvious is that we're winning games without really clicking, without really being in sync both on the pitching side, well, I guess in three realms and on the pitching side defensively and and with the offensive portion of the game and we've we've had our struggles on the mound particularly with the starting pitching over the course of of this road trip or even just the last 10 11 games uh, we've not been as consistent offensively as we were the the first half of the month of april and we've not been particularly clean fielding the ball and I say all that in, in a critical way, we're still managing to win games, which I think is the sign of a good team. And, and I've often thought that that was the sign of a, of a well-managed team. So credit to Scott and the coaching staff for, for helping that to happen. But I, I think since the day we faced Sean Manaya over here, you know, the now star Sean Manaya, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the day we faced Sean Manaya here uh, versus Oakland in the last 11 games, uh, we've hit 225 as a club. We've been on base about 28% of the time, and, and we're not lighting it up and, as a pitching staff. So the fact that over that 11-game stretch, we've been able to, to break even is, is pretty phenomenal. Well, we already brought up Ryan Healy, and you're bringing up the offense and trying to get it clicking on a on a more consistent manner. So we are roughly, Jerry, about 25 games into the season. We're in the latter stages of April. And now, starting tonight, Ryan Healy off the disabled list from the ankle injury. Of course, Mike Zunino has since come back since Healy was on the DL. I mean, tonight is going to be your first look at how this lineup that you envision really will play out, not only on paper, but in actuality. This is an exciting night for the Mariners to begin the series here in Cleveland. 
It really is, and I know it's a, it's not ideal pitching to run the the, uh, right. the the preferred lineup out there because Cleveland is so good on the mound, and you know it starts tonight with a very underrated Mike Clevenger and goes through the entire weekend. But you know, having the the group together, I know from talking to Scott yesterday and the day prior, as we were trying to navigate what to do with the these roster moves, it, he was very excited to look at the lineup the way we envisioned it, and and I think we've talked about this before that it's been close to two years since we've actually had all of our pieces in place and, and the players healthy and ready to go out there and, and, and take the ball from the pitching staff to the bullpen to the, to the lineup. And, and hopefully this is that moment where we start to click a little bit and, and you've got to beat good teams to be a good team. And, and I guess that starts again tonight for us. From Vogelback, we obviously saw this just off-the-charts great spring training. Struggled some during the regular season, had the incredible home run. But we've noticed a lot recently, Jerry, especially after that home run at home that was so eye-popping. I mean, he's been pitched inside to an extreme level. What are you hoping that Vogelback will be working on when he gets to Tacoma? Well, you know, covering the whole plate and getting back to what he was doing in spring training. And, and even to a degree after in the very early part of this season, Vogie didn't get a lot of consistent at bats because Ryan Healy was playing. Vogie was taking a pinch hit here or a pinch hit there. But by and large, once he started playing, you saw, you saw him get into that rhythm like he was in in spring training, which crested, you know, that night against Oakland when he hit the ball over the hit it here sign. But in the time since, he is he is more pitchable, and his zone coverage hasn't been quite the same. Uh, he's getting into the habit again of, of of allowing counts to start, and and then maybe choosing to be less aggressive early. And those are the things that he was doing so well in the spring that really helped him catapult himself onto our roster. And you know, I'll say this, that Vogie, I thought, did a wonderful job to this point in April of getting us across a bridge when we needed it most. He had some really big hits for us. And, and frankly, he played better defense than any one of us could have ever expected or hoped. And I think that is a credit to him, to, to the work he put in, to Manny Acta, to our, to our staff for, for really seeing it through. Scott Barocious for all the work they do pregame. But it was pretty clear that, you know, particularly against left-hand pitching, and just in general, this this was a good time for Vogie to take a blow and get back into to a good place offensively, and and we'll choose for that to be in Tacoma for the time being. But we haven't seen the last of Daniel Vogelbach. He'll be back and he'll help this team. Continuing with the theme of roster moves, Jerry uh, Rowan Elias is back with the Mariners. At one point, traded him to the Red Sox. Now back with Seattle. What are you envisioning for Rowan as his role with the Mariners now? His second stint with the ball club. You know, obviously he's assigned to Tacoma. We're we're excited to have him back. You know, I spoke to him the other day. I welcomed him home. I, I think he was maybe of all the players that we have traded over the course of my time here with the Mariners, he was the one who was perhaps most affected by it. He's uh he loved playing here. He was he was very comfortable in the Mariners organization and and uh you know, didn't have a great two year stretch with the Red Sox organization. But we started seeing some really positive signs from Aronis. He pitched for Manny Acta's team down in the Dominican last winter. You know, Manny got a, an up-close and personal. He saw an uptick in his physical stuff, not the least of which is his average velocity jumped into the 92-93 range, which is a considerable uptick from where he was before. He's always had the good breaking ball with the, with the multiple shapes and sizes that he can create that 
that get swing and miss. And and frankly, he's got a usable third pitch in his changeup or fourth pitch, as it were, in his changeup. And, and that allows him, if stretched out, to be an effective multi-inning reliever or potentially a starter. And that's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to take this opportunity to build his pitch count to, in all likelihood, piggyback him with one of the starters down in Tacoma until we get that pitch count to the point where everybody's comfortable with him starting. And then we're going to navigate him toward the starting rotation. And he will join guys like Rob Whalen and Ariel Miranda and Christian Bergman, guys who are pitching very well out of the chute down in, in Tacoma to give us protection. But with Elias, we, we see the opportunity for, for multiple forms of impact. It could be as a, a long reliever. It could be as a second lefty in a pen. Or it could be as a starting pitcher. And he's still just 29 years old and under club control for another five. Wow. Club control for five years. That's fantastic. This made me think of now there's Elias back, back with the ball club. And, of course, Gene Segura, who at one point you traded away, then you traded for. Are these the only two players, Jerry, in your general managing career that you have uh, traded away and then acquired back? Or is there a third or a fourth player, too? Uh, traded away and then acquired back. Tom Wilhelmson's on that list. Uh, okay, sure, yes. Yeah, I guess in a very quick uh, drive-by, uh, Patrick Kivlihan was on that list. So everybody that was involved in that trade actually <laughs> uh, was, you know, went away and came back again. They're like, it's like boomerangs. They're magnetic forces that draw them back to Seattle. But uh, we, we've had pretty fair success. And, and when guys go away and they don't find immediate success, we know the player. And, and perhaps we can turn the dial in a way that, that the other organization was not capable of or able to so you know it's it's something that we have done before since since being here with the mariners and and it's something that historically i've seen at work players are, are they love their comfort zones and and hopefully elias has a comfort zone here with the with the mariners and and finds his niche and can become a part of not just what we're doing in 2018 but some part of what we're doing as we move forward are those phone calls to, in this case, those those four guys you talked about, are those always a little more fun for you and entertaining when you call a guy and tell him that you want him back? I'd have to imagine, like with Segura, I know he gave you a little bit of grief in a fun way. Yeah, Segura was funny when I called him. Uh, his first reaction when, when I called Gene was, ha, I never thought I'd hear from you again. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but more in, uh, in, in this particular case, you know, I called and I welcomed Rowena's home. And, uh, and I think that meant something to him. It, it was, uh, he, was, he was particularly happy, seemed excited to be coming back. And, and I'm not even sure that he heard, oh, oh by the way, you'll be going to Tacoma <laughs> because he was so happy to be coming back to the Mariners family, so to speak. So uh, I, I, that part is fun. You're, there's there's never a, a conversation you have with a player where you, where you don't want it to end on a positive note. And when you're bringing guys back to a place that they enjoyed playing, it's always going to be positive. We talked about Mitch Hanniger earlier, Jerry, and uh, it has been just incredible to see. Of course, last year he had this sensational April, and this year it's even more so, uh, for some reason, he decided not to hit a home run in five consecutive games, but he did drive in the only run of that game. Uh, what have you been uh, just so amazed with with Mitch? Because uh, I got to tell you, I think Scott Service is running out of ways to describe how impressed he has been with him because uh, he's basically getting that question, it seems like, every single day, especially of this road trip. 
And and now I think the the world around us, the baseball world around us, is starting to pick up on how good a player Mitch Haniger is, and and it's in it's in every way really. He does so many things to affect the game, not just in the batter's box. He hits for average, he hits for power, he has plate discipline, he really grinds at bats, he finds ways to drive in those tough runs. Never on display more than it was the other day with the the O two breaking ball that really shouldn't be hit, and he, and he manages to navigate it through a, an infield that was put in position to defend against exactly the pitch they were throwing. So, you know, credit Mitch. He's finding ways to impact. He can really throw. He plays defense. He runs well, and he's a great teammate. Uh, so I, I think it, he fills up just about every box in that regard. You know, I probably just gave, you know, Matt Sosnick and the good people at Sosnick and Cobb, you know, great fodder for the, the future uh, <laughs> arbitration cases for Mitch Haniger, but deservedly so. He's He's been a terrific player, and, and he's been awesome this April. He had a tremendous rookie year despite being on the shelf for a period of time. It was pretty clear to everybody watching that, that his skills had a chance to really play at this level, and, and lo and behold, they are. And and I think more than just what he does on the field, Scott, the staff, and when I say the staff, it's all of our staff. It's our high-performance staff, our medical teams, the, the clubhouse group. He's, he's always going to be a, a favorite in that group because he treats people well. And he works hard every day. He comes to the ballpark and, and grinds. He's a philanthropic guy. He and his wife do a wonderful job in the community. And it, it, it's when, when you want your son to grow up and be a baseball player, I think you'll envision it being something along the lines of Mitch Haniger. And, uh, and I, I say that, and I know it sounds gushy, but it is true. Uh, it's, uh, he's a tremendous guy, a tremendous player, and right now he's, he's getting deserved attention. And he won't go good all year long. Sooner or later he'll hit a little pocket where it's not as easy. But it's, uh, he's proven his merit to us, that's for sure. Jerry, are you surprised when we see teams put the shift on against Mitch Haniger? Because if you look at the numbers, he uses the middle of the field and the opposite side of the field about as well as any productive hitter in the game right now. I, I can't say I'm surprised just because of the volume of shifts in the league. I mean, virtually one out of every three at-bats that, that occur in the big leagues or plate appearances that occur in the big leagues right now it have some type of defensive overshift it, that, that answers the other side, which is a pretty phenomenal number if you think about it. Uh, in a league where just 10 years ago that number was was something along the lines of 5%, <laughs> and uh, and now it's closer to 30%. So. It, it's done just because it's logical and in the big sample sizes, right-hand hitters who have some tendency to pull, uh, there's, they're, they're going to overshift. I, I think we're, we've seen it the last couple of days with Nelson Cruz. You know, Nelly was able to drive in some pretty big runs in the Chicago series with quality situational hitting with an overshifted defense and just poke a ground ball through the hole or hit something back through the middle. And, and we can score a run. And, and Mitch is, is learning to, to do the same things. He's, he's got instincts to play. And, and I think eventually you'll see teams stop doing it. They, they won't shift the, the infield that way anymore because it, it, they clearly understand that he can make them pay. One of the things that Mike and I were talking about on the telecast the other day, and it came up because of the hot start by Mitch and, and just an incredible start by Didi Gregorius of the Yankees, is this idea for a general manager as to when is the right time to move a player on if that player you feel is either beginning to sell out in your organization 
or if maybe you just obviously that the trade that you're going to the piece that you're going to get back is too good and it's time to in this case move Didi Gregorius on because you look at the Diamondbacks at both these guys right and I don't I don't mean to point a finger at Arizona they're up to another great start this year by all accounts a great organization uh and there's not a single team in baseball that doesn't have the wish of, ah, I wish I could have that back. But as a general manager, Jerry, what are the kind of the signs that you go off of, whether they're uh, numbers-based or gut-based, as to when it's just time? Because, my goodness, for Mitch Hanniger, it's a little amount of time with the big leagues for Arizona. The numbers weren't eye-popping, but the numbers in the minor leagues certainly were. And they were willing to move him and Segura on for Taiwan Walker. It just... And you got me curious as to, from a general manager, how you kind of go navigating those waters. Those aren't, that's not easy. It really isn't. And, you know, in, in the case of both Mitch and Didi, they're guys that were just getting ready to open the door on their prime years, which, you know, for a player in, in this league, for a player prime years wise, it's going to be about age 26 to 32 that they're really tapping into to all that they're capable of historically true i something like along the lines of eight out of ten players experienced their their best six-year stretch during that period of time and and i think that's what you're seeing with mitch and with Didi. it's a you didn't have to wait for them to grow into the player that they become they already were and and they just needed opportunity to play we have done i i Clearly, we have gone out and we have isolated our focus on players that are that are ready to open that door or that are in there. It's it's Mitch Haniger, it's Ryan Healy, it's I could line up just about everybody we've acquired has been in that zone. And I think what you'll see now with guys like Healy, Zanino, Ben Gamble, it's it's this. We don't have to wait through that growing or gestation period. You put them on the field and you just give them opportunity and and they learn as they go. But they're good players now. And, you know, if you look around the league and the best teams, not just in the American League, but around baseball, the Houston Astros, the Cleveland Indians, the 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 Boston Red Sox, the New York Yankees, many of these teams were built in this way. They were built acquiring these types of players through trade. And that goes for pitcher and hitter. And, you know, oftentimes we have this romantic notion that teams are built through the draft and international signing and you grind and you build. And that's it. It's a balance. You go out and you acquire your Hanegers and Gregoriuses. You develop your 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 young players and about a quarter of them are going to come from your system and about a third of them are going to come from trade, you know, and the rest come via free agency and other ways. And and I think that's how teams are built. That's how competitive teams are built and teams that are built solely in one way tend not to win if you go and spend all your money on free agents you're not likely to win if you spend all your time drafting and developing you're probably going to toil at the bottom for a period of time if not in perpetuity it's the team that strikes on the balance finds the Hanegers and the Gregoriuses from other teams and implements them at the right time that have a chance to to really make a difference in the moment nobody can come up with a core that is solely built of homegrown players that are all in the prime years of their careers. If you do that, it's pure luck. <laughs> you have to get some help somewhere else. Another player that you seemingly picked up at just the right time is a guy that we've seen his last two starts punch out eight batters both times. It's Marco Gonzalez. Uh, you know, the book on Marco, for as long as we have known him, Jerry, is this is a pitch to contact guy. Obviously, the terrific changeup. When did Marco Gonzalez become a strikeout pitcher, Jerry? It's happening right before our very eyes, at least the last two times out. 
Yeah, I, I guess the easy answer to that one is last week. <laughs> but uh, in all in all seriousness, Marco, again, 26 years old. This is the start of what should be the prime of his career. And, and he's now fully healthy. He has at his disposal all of his weapons. He's pitching confidently. And if you look at Marco's track record and just go back and look at what he actually did in what was a fairly you know, disjointed minor league career because of the Tommy John surgery and the early promotion to the big leagues, Marco struck him out in the minor leagues at a fairly normal clip. And, you know, he was an eight strikeout, eight plus strikeout per nine guy throughout his minor league career. And I think what you're seeing now is you're seeing that confidence, that pitch making ability and that pitch quality translate to the big leagues. And, you know, these last two starts, I think he's been exceptionally good in that regard. His command has been great, and that's the the first step. He's not walking guys. He's pitching in positive counts, and as a result, he's able to put them away, and he's putting them away in different ways. He's elevating his fastball. He's using his sinker. He's using his changeup extremely well, and he's really doing a nice job of implementing his curveball and elevation with the fastball. And when you're clicking on all those different boxes, the results tend to follow. And, you know, these last few starts, it's been pleasant to watch. It sure has. Can you tell us a little bit more about his curveball? Because we know about his changeup. We know that the cutter was a pitch that he was eager to throw more this year because his arm just could handle that pitch. But especially two starts ago against the Astros, the first of those consecutive strikeout games. Curveball was a pitch that he seemed to throw really more than at any point of the season and was really effective for him. Really was. And I, and I think that was as much about Marco implementing that pitch more as, as it was about how it matched up versus the, the Astros lineup. But, you know, for Marco to be as successful as he can be in this league, he has to use his pitches. And, you know, his cutter has been very effective. His changeup has always been the most exceptional pitch in his arsenal. He's thrown a lot more two-seam fastballs this year. And just these last two starts, you're seeing a lot more curveball usage. And that allows Marco to pitch back and forth, up and down, and in and out. And he has to strike on all three of those things to, to be as successful as he can be because he's not going to overpower you with 96 miles an hour. It's not Randy Johnson's slider in his prime. It's, he has to use all of his pitches and sequence them well. And I think that's what you're starting to see. And the curveball is a big part of that. It's not going to be a dynamic bat misser, but it allows him to get ahead in counts. And I think here in the last couple of starts, particularly against some big right-hand hitters, he's using it both to start a count and to put hitters away. And that's very effective because now it keeps it in the back of that hitter's mind that Marco has other things he could do. And that, that's, it's not just, here's my high fastball, now comes the change up away. He's, he's become less predictable and as a result, more successful. Along the lines of pitching, Jerry, now that we are roughly 25 games into the season, plus spring training, one of the big storylines of the pitching front for the Mariners this year was what you have done to bring in additional pitching coaches to augment the staff with Mel Stoudemire Jr., kind of each bringing in their own uh, way of seeing things and their own levels of expertise in certain areas. Jim Brower, Brian DeLunis, now that we have a, a decent chunk of games under the Mariners' belt, how is that working out so far this year, do you think? I think it's working out great. And, you know, obviously Mel remains the pitching coach and the, the daily communication with those pitchers it continues to run through Mel, especially with the starters, who he spends a ton of his time with. And, you know, the, the in-between, those four days where the starter is not working on the game mount, he's working with Mel. Those relationships have not changed. 
what Jim Brower brings to the table is Jim is, is information oriented and he can give the pitchers uh, by working with our advanced scouting group, Emmanuel Sefuentes and the support data is give the pitchers some idea of what they might be able to do to turn the dial to enhance what they're doing, whether it be pitch usage, pitch sequencing, or even how they match up against that team that night. That's the niche that Jim Brower has filled. And Brian DeLunis is exceptional in regard to, to we'll call it biomechanics, delivery and identification. And I, and I think Brian's got a real calming effect and a, and a calm way about him that has helped the guys down in the bullpen every day. And Brian's impact is that when he sees something develop in the bullpen, he can immediately talk to either Mel or Jim Brower regarding his what he's seeing in terms of delivery. Now, in the work in between, Mel can help clean up the delivery with, with DeLunis, or Brower can help adjust a pitch type or usage by, by, by what Brian is bringing to the table visually. And, and I think those are, those are very nice additions it's gone very well i think and each player is going to have a different ear for hearing and we have three different ways to appeal to them now so you know hopefully there's a little something for everybody well if anybody ever wants to kind of get nerdy with pitching uh brian delunas in particular is a good twitter follow because uh, he, he he's one of the only guys i know who will show you pitch grips and how it will affect your um your revolutions per second, your spin rate and everything else. And also by looking at his uh, Twitter page, you can also tell how enormous his hands are, Jerry, because uh, the baseball looks like a ping pong ball when Brian holds it. Or, or frankly, having now in my lifetime held an emu egg, he could probably <laughs> <laughs> he could probably dwarf an emu egg, which is not an easy thing to do. Hey, with all this pitching talk, how good is it to have Mike Zanino back? That's oh, great. And, and and not just because of the fact that he's hit a couple of homers this week, which, by sure. the way, I'll take if he wants to hit another one tonight. Uh, Mike does such a tremendous job, first, of framing pitches. We know he's been celebrated for his ability to frame, to make a ball look like a strike more frequently than most, particularly that ball that's at the bottom of the zone, that, that Mike can really get underneath that ball and, and, and lift it and give it the perception of being a strike when maybe it's a closer to borderline. Uh, I think in that regard, David Freitas has done an excellent job, but it's nice to have Mike back. Uh, the sequencing of pitches, knowing the guys, especially the guys that have been here for a period of time, James Paxton, Felix Hernandez most notably, and what he does in terms of field presence and, and relationship with the pitchers, positivity that, that Mike brings to the table. I, it's, it's so uplifting to have a guy that can keep the team up. And, you know, it's a it, that's a big deal. And, and it's also a big deal at the bottom third of your lineup to have a guy that can take any pitcher out of any part of the ballpark at any time in the game. That's you know, that doesn't stink either. The home run that he hit in Chicago, Jerry, I mean, you talk about I think it was a nine pitch at bat. There are many guys who can poke it the opposite way. I know the wind was blowing out the way, but it was a very cold, cold afternoon in Chicago. Uh, we are seeing the the approach that he had in spring training, of course, at the end of last season, it's been nice to see that carry over uh, because that's, that is about as a big boy of a home run, especially in a critical point of the game as you can find right now. Yeah. I think the, there's my thought when that happened, I, I, I'm looking, I know you were calling the game on, on television, but the, the camera, as it panned in on James Shields after that ball was, was launched, <laughs> there's a, 
he he had a reaction. My reaction was the same way. I just said it in a slightly different way. <laughs> That's a, his uh, you know his it, it, Mike's power is really pole to pole, and I think what was so encouraging about the ball he hit yesterday is that the the initial home run he hit in Chicago on Monday, which was a bomb. Uh, the two doubles that he hit in Chicago were all balls that he got out on his front he, front side and just hooked. And Mike's so strong, he can hook that, those balls and, and hit them a million miles an hour. And he's always going to be an effective offensive contributor because he can do that. But when Mike sits on his backside for just a little bit longer and uses that the other side of the field, usually good things are about to start cascading. And and I'm hopeful that that was the, the, the tipping point for Mike to really get on a hot streak here. Because when he gets hot, he can really carry a lineup. And that's you can't say that very often about a guy who's hitting in the bottom third of a major league lineup. But Mike Zanino can do that. Yeah, it's been it's been pretty impressive to see. We knew that he had it, but it's been fun to see it in person, especially now that the lineup can be rounded out even further tonight with Ryan Healy coming into the mix. Uh, before we get to listener questions, uh, Jerry, we uh, wanted to touch quickly on Ichiro. We know that was a move uh, that was made uh, at this point, I guess, a, a few days ago. Uh, but Ichiro still certainly has uh, value to the Mariners. What all went into that move for the Mariners? Well, you know, I've talked about it publicly in a couple of different sectors, you know, whether a a radio interview yesterday, talking to a couple of the beat reporters over the weekend. But, you know, we're every decision that we make, we're managing a lot of information. And in this particular instance, we're managing information that might not be available to others or or certainly is not available to others. And everybody deserves their opinion. And I can't say that those who've been upset by the fact that we moved Guillermo Heredia to Tacoma are wrong. You know, it was a difficult decision to make, but we were working on one trip through the rotation where none of our starters was able to give us more than five innings pitched. We had to do something to create some length in our bullpen that was devastated by the short start on Saturday after three straight starts of less than five innings. And we just had to do something to, to preserve the pitching health for our team. And you know there are right ways to treat people and there are wrong ways. And what we've maintained with Ichiro since the day we signed him was we understood where the fit was for Ichi, how he fit on this team, Ben Gamble being out, you know, the, the cascade of events, whether it's Ben Gamble's return about two weeks before we thought it was going to occur, uh, the fact that Guillermo got off to such a good start, and the fact that our pitching was really struggling there for about a six-day stretch. We had to do something to create some balance, and the decision that we made was was relative to the entire group. And every decision we make is going to be made for the, the greater good of the Mariners organization, this team. And I feel like Ichiro brings more to this team than most people will realize. And it's not happening on a stat sheet. It's happening with what he's doing behind the scenes, the way he's mentoring young players, the stabilizing fa- or factors that he brings to our clubhouse, particularly for our veteran players. It's such a nice resource to have from everybody from Robbie Cano and Felix Hernandez to our young outfielders, Ben Gamble, Mitch Hanniger, et cetera, or even our new outfielders, D. Gordon. And we don't want that to go away. So, you know, our, our decisions are ongoing, 
the the move with Guillermo to Tacoma is certainly not permanent, and we don't intend it to be. Guillermo is a part of this team. He's a part of what we're doing, but so is Ichiro, and we're trying to figure out the best way to transition forward and maintain the best possible on-field impact we can have while we also maintain the best possible clubhouse impact we can have. It's a delicate balance. You bring up D. Gordon. How have you continued to assess his transition to center field? Obviously, the more games he plays, the more situations he gets put in, uh, seeing some things, I'm sure, for the first time as a center fielder. Yeah, I, I think almost everything he's seeing, he's seeing for the first time. And and uh, he's had he's had certainly had highs and lows and his highs have been really high. And I, what I love about D is D doesn't have fear when when D plays the position fearlessly. He's awesome out there. You know, and, and I will say that on one to two, three occasions, he's made a mistake, whether it be physical or mental. And and the, the quicker he can move beyond that and, and refocus himself, the better. But I, D, to me, is a center fielder now. He's, he's no longer a second baseman who's trying to adjust to center field. He's a center fielder. And, you know, it's uh, when when he is clicking, when he's doing the things that he does, it is such an energizing element to our team and and I think the to the fact that he's been willing and and capable of doing it at ease, as easily as he is is phenomenal and it's a really good example to our teammates uh, of, of what you're about. Uh, no question about that. Well, let's get to some uh, reader questions here Jerry. This is uh, from Sean in the Bay Area and remember you can always email the show the wheelhouse at mariners.com. Uh, Sean is uh, wanting to know, Jerry, about, and I love this, in quotes, fancy stats. With the growing acceptance and use of fancy stats from sources like fan graphs, et cetera, things like bat speed, launch angle, plate discipline, pitch value, along those lines, out of all of those, and ones we haven't even mentioned, uh, which do you believe, Jerry, most closely translate to projecting a player's chance of success on the field? I, I think it's the the physical statistics and and some things that we track internally some that you find in the public domains it's it's exit velocities uh are are big thing you know pitch velocities are a big thing they are probably of all the different things we track the 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 most notable in terms of predictive value moving forward it's a we can look at all the different performance related stats and they probably don't translate as frequently as the physical realities and you know which which kind of lines up with the way we scout it's a we try to find or strike a balance and and when we're looking at those physical traits how hard the player hits the ball how hard the player throws the ball they mean something and 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 now that those things are actually trackable in a public domain it gives it gives the fans an opportunity to look behind the lens of of some of the reasons why we do what we do uh, another one is is just spin rates. It's the way pitches work, and and I think one of the things that we've found out over time, and and, and that makes sense to me. You want to be on the high or low end of those of those realms, and uh, you, the the worst place to be is caught in the middle, <laughs> and and you know those mean a lot because they have predictive value. It doesn't always translate, but they have predictive value that is more important than the other elements. So I would say those physical traits are probably starting to pan out to be a little bit more uh, critical in our evaluation than maybe performance statistics. You know, along the lines of the spin race, Jerry, and not wanting to be in the middle, is it possible for a pitcher to have both at once a pitch that is at the very upper echelon of a spin rate? 
for that particular pitch and then a secondary pitch of some form that is at the very lowest end is is there a duality that can exist with one guy like that oh i think there is and you know i would i would turn that over to experts in the area who are far smarter and more informed than i am but i definitely think there is there's a, you're going to get you're going to get pitchers who survive or thrive with one dominant pitch that is generally speaking it sneaks up on you. And and I'm not talking about a dominant pitch like Mariano Rivera's cutter, which is physically dominating. I'm talking about the guy who threw – our own Nick Vincent is a great example. The guy who throws a pitch that if you're watching it in the bullpen, your reaction is not eye-popping. But when you watch the result of that pitch in the, in a game action, you know, Nick does not have a violent breaking ball. He doesn't have the, you know, the Tom Gordon's snapdragon curveball. <laughs> He's not blessed with with Pedro Martinez change up in his prime. But what Nick does is he throws 87 to 90 mile an hour cut fastballs at the top of the zone. And it's a it they they miss bats and it always has. It's been a great and effective pitch. But there's really nothing else in, in Nick's bag of tricks that that puts him in an exceptional category. But that one pitch has allowed him to thrive at the major league level, pitch critical and important innings for for really in, in winning game situations for a number of years without really blowing you away with how it's happening. You know, for some reason, something you said made me uh, think of someone else that I wanted to talk to you about briefly, and that's James Pazos. We saw James have... Uh, that just in- incredible outing, uh, multiple innings in Arlington early on the road trip. I believe it was a career high, two and two thirds. He was in- just amazingly efficient as well. And Jerry, I want you to tell me, I want you to say, Goldsmith, slow down, tap the brakes. Don't be an idiot. Because, you know, Blauer says that to me on a daily basis, so I'm used to it. Uh, but when I saw Pazos do that, the next day I-, I was thinking more and more about it. And we know that there's a, a-, a thing in baseball of uh, – becoming kind of trendy with the different usage and one thing leads to another and you see the way that the Indians can use Andrew Miller the way that AJ Hinch can use Chris Davinsky is Pazos a guy who could be of that mold a a multiple inning guy who's got a ton of velocity a great breaking ball in this case from the left side is that something that has been discussed or is he not really a guy to fit that mold as much as I might think that would be cool for him to do yeah, I think I'd be on Blow's side on this one with tapping the brakes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, uh, you know, James, really from the start last year, when we acquired James from the Yankees in what I think was an under-the-radar trade that has been pretty beneficial so far to us, is is we got a big arm. And, and Paz has a fastball that plays really anywhere in the strike zone. It's uh, he's He's not necessarily a command guy. He is a stuff guy who, when he is in or around the white part of the plate, it can be overwhelming at 92 to 98. Uh, and, and he can ride it high. He can really get a lot of swing throughs on that arm side fastball. And, you know, the thing that generally takes James into his hot streaks are, are when he's clicking with his fastball, it frees up a breaking ball that is not yet as consistent as we'd like it to be and, and as maybe Pac or, or James Pazos would, would like it to be. And when Paz really strikes on that breaking ball and is able to land one for a strike or able to get one under a right-hander's bat, what he's able to do with that fastball is phenomenal. I think he is closer to an example of a guy who has incredible impact with his first pitch and is still trying to figure out the potential impact of the second. And when when James Pazos throws strikes, 
you know, it, it is it is impact and he provides impact to our group, but we don't want to necessarily have him as that two, two plus inning guy. We want to be able to use him three and four times a week in more in more close game type situations. And right now, because of where he is physically, the staff has the confidence to do that. And you can see it in James body language and his posture he knows he's going good right now and and he feels it and he's letting it ride and when he does that that's fun so this is why we have the podcast jerry so i can ask you ridiculous questions like this in a judgment-free zone and uh you can answer them very honestly so this is good i'd I'd rather i'd rather you tell me that than blower power because otherwise I, I would hear about it for a longer period of time if I asked Blow that. So this is good. Uh, you know, a follow-up quickly for Sean uh, before we wrap things up. Uh, Sean from the Bay Area. He wants to know, Jerry, what road trip do you look forward to the most based simply on food? Based simply on food. Wow. I, I have to say 50-50 New York or San Francisco uh, slash Oakland. We stay in San Francisco when we go play the uh, the A's. I, I love the the restaurant life in the Bay. I, I will say that Seattle was once on that that list, but now that it's home, I guess it can't be a road trip. But, <laughs> uh, New York, San Francisco are those two spots. I love the Italian in in San Francisco. Phenomenal. Uh, I, I would add a, like a sneaky add to that would be Baltimore. I, I love the uh, the Greek Mediterranean restaurants that you can run into in Baltimore uh, are phenomenal. And if you can't find what you like in New York, then you're just not looking hard enough. It's a, <laughs> it, it finds you more often than not. So, you know, those I think are the the, the highlights for me in, in terms of uh, restaurant life. Tough to top any of them. You know, Chicago, great. and But New York, San Francisco for me, one and two. No, I'm right with you. Those are, those are two at the very top of the list. Well, uh, you know, the Mariners are coming back home after this four-game series in Cleveland. As we take a quick look around the horn, what's coming up at Safeco Field. Tuesday, three-game series against the A's. All three games are Mariner value games presented by BECU. And then how about May the 4th, Jerry? First 20,000 fans taking home the uh, Han Siegel bobblehead for Star Wars Night, the Kyle Seeger-inspired bobblehead. Jerry, are you much of a Star Wars guy? I am a Star Wars guy. I, I have, uh, you know, Star Wars. It's kind of right in my wheelhouse. When I was when I was in a grade school into you know middle school, Star Wars was kind of at its its original peak, and then and then it surfaced again. My my oldest daughter had the misfortune of being dragged to all the original replays of the Star Wars movies in the theaters, and and now I turned her into a bit of a Star Wars geek. But uh, it's it's a it's a great series and it's ongoing. It, it makes a, a, I, one of my favorite trips is a couple of years ago, and you may have been with us on this, this foray. We went out to Lucasfilm Studios in Presidio outside of San Francisco and went on a tour of their facilities, how they make the movies, and, and you got to see all the props and the, the extras and how they incorporated the new technologies. And it was one of my favorite little, you know, quirky perks that we've had a chance to, to enjoy. I thought it was a lot of fun. Well, we also know that you're a big uh, fanny pack guy. You've uh, been outed on that on this podcast. And Saturday is 99, 90s night. First 10,000 fans taking home the uh, James Paxson fanny pack, which, Jerry, we uh, hope that our next podcast together, uh, you and I are both wearing that. And then uh, Sunday is, of course, Little League Day, the Boomtime LED watch for all kids 14 and under. So good stuff coming up at Safeco Field. And, Jerry, a big four-game series here in Cleveland, but we are uh, eager to get back home. And uh, start the month of May in Seattle. Thanks as always for the time, man. This is always fun. You got to bring home some wins, Aaron. 
It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.